to uh, just give a couple of thoughts. Uh, number one, I want to thank Jeremy and Lizzie for being here. Um, I think it's important for us to know as a church body, uh, we are committed to giving uh, to mission. Uh, each year we want to way uh, so, so that the gospel is preached and proclaimed and they are missionaries of our church. I'm not just saying this uh, because they're here. Every person here should consider how am I supporting missionaries across the world? Uh, everybody's not going to be able to go uh, to Japan. Everybody's not going to be able to move to Atlanta to impact uh, Japanese students. But we all can use our resources to support those who are doing it. And if they said something that resonated with you guys this morning. I would encourage you to get with them after church to see how you can get involved with them as a prayer supporter, but also as a financial supporter. Uh, we're not going to ever bring anybody before our congregation and body who we don't trust, who we haven't vetted. And I want to say uh, my wife and I personally support them, and I want to challenge you to support them as well. Amen? Amen. That wasn't strong enough. Amen? Amen. Thank you. Y'all just making the sermon longer, you know? <laughs> Uh, also, uh, there is a, uh, a sign-up sheet uh, on the desk out in the lobby. If you are willing or considering uh, helping out with the kids this summer, last week I had an opportunity to serve with our kids' ministry. It was a great time. Uh, if you have some bandwidth where you will take a Sunday off from listening to this guy talk, uh, if you want to go and serve and be able to impact our students, I want to encourage you, sign up. Um, it's, it's not a huge commitment. Uh, there's going to be a lesson prepared for you, and it is an opportunity for you uh, to serve uh, the students of our church. Uh, if you've never done it, maybe you, um, maybe you can do a trial run, but I want to encourage you, if you've never done it, uh, please consider If you've done it in the past, please continue to do it because we definitely need more folks to help out with the kids in the back. Uh, men's retreat coming up. All the men in the church, y'all will hear more about it from me next week. I believe that to be a strong Christian, you got to be around other strong Christians, right? To be a strong man, you need to be around other strong Christian men. Uh, if you are available to be there, I want to challenge every male of our church to be there. Um, it's going to be an opportunity for us to get in God's word. We're going to pray together. We want to sharpen one another. And we want to be uh, the husbands and the fathers and the follow followers of Christ that God has called us to be. And that's going to require that we sacrifice some personal time and spend time together. So if you have not uh, signed up for the retreat, I want to encourage you to sign up this week. If you signed up, I want you to uh, prayerfully consider who can you bring with you to the retreat because we want to see as many men impacted as possible. Amen? Amen. Amen. Yes, it's going to be a long one today. <laughs> see, I'm going to apologize because it may be a long, long sermon today. Uh, Psalm 34 is where we're going to turn our attention today. Uh, just for the next couple of months, we're going to jump through the Psalms as we just feel led to uh, hit on different passages for a new series in August. We'll be in the 34th Psalm. It's a very familiar Psalm. I pray that the Lord uses it this to impact us in a significant way. Psalm 34 simply declares of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and went away. The scripture says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. 
Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all of my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil and cut off uh, to cut off the memory of them from the, from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all of their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Uh, just for um, a few moments this morning, I want to preach from a very uh, simple but hopeful passage. And I want to talk about a broken person praising in a broken place. A broken person praising in a broken place. Let me pray for us. Father, I'm so thankful for the privilege that you give me to open up your word. And God, as I have come over a couple of weeks of rest, God, I pray that you would use my time of preparation, my time of study to speak clearly to us. Lord, it's true, I serve as the pastor of our church. But ultimately, I'm just the under-shepherd. You are the great shepherd. And I pray, God, that this message would shepherd our hearts, that you would help us to move closer to you, that you would help us to see your plan. And God, in seeing your plan, God, give us peace that your plan is good and God, it needs no amendments. doesn't need my suggestions. God, I thank you that we can be real this morning, that there are people who are here who are in a tough place. There are people who are here who are broken and beaten. God, help us to see, God, that you do amazing work with broken pieces. God, you do amazing things with broken people. Even when we, when we find ourselves in a broken place. God, help us to see this as a reality and speak to us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Personally, I have not had the privilege of visiting Europe, but I have been told that taking a European vacation is something that you should do if you can do it. Uh, right before Evita and I got married, she actually uh, took a girl's trip to Europe. Uh, she took a vacation where she was able to experience uh, some great sights. And as she told me about her trip, and as she uh, began to describe different aspects of her trip, 
if I'm honest, there were certain things that just did not resonate with me. Uh, when she began to tell me or when she began to, des- to describe uh, the, the lodging accommodations, uh, she was balling on a budget, uh, which meant that they had to stay uh, in some hostels, uh, which is the small, um, very um, antiquated kind of hotels. And anybody who knows me knows I'm a little bit of a hotel snob. So when she described the hotel, I was not that impressed. Uh, when she began to tell me about the food that she ate, when she told me about the, uh, the culinary options that she uh, part- partook in, if I'm honest, because I have a very uh, Tennessee country palate, uh, I was not that impressed with the things that she ate. Even when she told me about her experience at the Louvre, when she told me about her experience uh, seeing the Mona Lisa and different uh, paintings, I-, I was not that impressed. But then she began to talk about the different cathedrals that she visited. She began to tell me about the different um, historical religious structures that she began, uh, that she was able to to walk inside of. There was something that uh, began to resonate with me. It reminded me, though, of a commentator who says that when you think about God's masterpieces, most of God's masterpieces are more like a mosaic than a painting. He says, for some of us, we think of God's greatest work being more like a painting where one stroke at a time, God intentionally paints the lines where there's nothing blurry. There's nothing messed up. There's this neat, perfect picture. And he says to think about it from that perspective, it it doesn't allow us to see how God is able to take things that are broken, how God is able to take things that are messed up, and how God is able to make those things a masterpiece. He says when you see it just from the perspective of a picture, then you don't see how messy life is. You don't see how uh, there are imperfections in life. You don't see how there are flaws in life. And he says specifically that the more we grow in our faith, the more we tend to see God working, uh, that we, we tend to see that God works in a way where he uses a mosaic to paint a powerful picture. For those of us who are not familiar with it, a mosaic uh, requires that we take broken pieces. Uh, it requires that you take broken pieces of glass, that you take broken pieces of stone, and you assemble those things in a pattern that is recognizable. A mosaic takes pieces that most people would say are unusable. He says that a mosaic takes uh, pieces that most people would say are unredeemable, and a mosaic takes the mind of the designer, it takes the mind of the creator, and it puts these things together to bless us with something wonderful. For me, I love the idea of a mosaic because it reminds me of what has happened to us in Christ. When you think about our lives, all of us have broken pieces. Nobody wants to stand here and admit that we have broken areas of our life. But everyone under the sound of my voice, especially the one speaking today, has broken areas of our life. We have disappointments. We have brokenness because of relationships. We have brokenness because of our sinful choices. We have brokenness because of sinful choices of others. We have brokenness because of circumstances. We even have brokenness because of extended seasons of suffering in our life. And if if you are here this morning 
And then you can identify with having areas of your life that are broken. I want to tell you that there's good news this morning because the passage is communicating to us that God is able to take the broken pieces of our life and God is able to make a masterpiece. If you've ever said that you don't have a good testimony, let me tell you that's a lie. If you've ever thought that you've sinned too greatly, if you've made too many mistakes for God to use you, that is a lie. If you've ever thought that, that, that you've got to do more, you've got to try harder for God to do something significant in your life, but also through your life. I love this passage because it's telling us that God is able to take what the world will consider is broken and flawed and unusable and unredeemable, and God is able to form something special. Uh, specifically, when you think about uh, the mosaics in Europe or the mosaics in the cathedrals, uh, most of them, uh, they have a common theme where Jesus has his arms wide open and Jesus is extending himself out to the world. When you think about those mosaics, how Jesus is reaching out to the world, it's a reminder of what the gospel message is communicating to us. I'm encouraged by the mosaics because it, it reminds me that God's love for us is a love that first pursues us. I want to say it again. When you think about God's love for you, it is not uh, because you reach a certain standard or you reach a certain level of performance, but God's love for you is rooted and grounded in God's pursuit of you. I love it because when you think about it from their perspective, uh, God's masterpieces are not made up of perfect people, uh, people who have it all together, people who've always been in church, people who've never sinned, people who never made a mistake, people who don't have areas of their life where they're ashamed of. When you think about the broken areas of our life, that, that we should never uh, make an excuse for sin, but here's the truth, we should never allow the sin in our life to cause us to think that God does not deserve desire to have a relationship with us. The fact that God chooses, intentionally chooses to pursue hurting and broken people is good news. Number one, it keeps us from being prideful because there's no one here who can say that you deserved God's pursuit. And secondly, it keeps us humble because it lets us know that God desires to do something significant in our life. The fact that God chooses hurting people and helpless people and people who are formerly hopeless is good news. It's good news because God is able to take a group of broken people and create a new family. Just like the, the artist is able to take those broken pieces of glass, those broken tiles, and he's able to, to create an image in a cathedral that communicates to the world that Christ is reaching out to us, so is God able to take his masterpiece called the church. And God is able to take broken pieces. And God is able to give us a glimpse of what he desires in our lives. I'm starting this way because when you look at Psalm 34, what you have is a man who is broken. What you have is a man who is beat down. What you have a man, what you have is a man who is hurting, and what you have is a man who is in a really 
broken place. When you go back to the superscription, which gives us a title for the psalm, we are told that this particular psalm is a psalm of David. Uh, usually when we think about uh, the biblical character David, we, think, we don't think of him as a broken man. We think of him as a blessed man. We don't think of him as a man who is sorrowful. We think of him as a man who is successful. This week, I want to encourage you to take some time and go back and read uh, 1 Samuel chapter number 21. It will give you more context. In 1 Samuel 21, this is right after David has killed Goliath. Most of us know uh, David and Goliath's story. Uh, after David slays Goliath, uh, the world is celebrating him and the current king Saul becomes jealous of him. Because the people are celebrating David, Saul gets in his feelings and Saul becomes resentful. He becomes en envious and now Saul seeks to kill David. Because Saul sought to kill David, David says, what can I flee? What can I go? What can I flee? So, so David makes a decision to go behind the enemy lines, to go back to the Philistine country where Goliath is from so he can hide. And going back to that country, he's captured and he has had, he's in a place to where he's running from Saul He's captured by the Philistines who are upset because they, he has killed Goliath and he, he plays the role of a crazy person so that they can let him go. It's one of those stories that is, is totally uh, unexpected in the Bible. He pretends to be crazy. He pretends to be out of his mind. So the Philistines let him go. And once he is released, the scriptures tell us that he goes to a cave in Adullam, the hill country of Jerusalem. Now catch this. Here is David, once known, well, once unknown as a, as a shepherd boy. He experiences the greatest triumph, the one of the greatest triumphs in the history of his country. The one who experienced one of the greatest triumphs in the history of his country very soon after is on the run. The one who kills the greatest warrior um, of his, of, of the greatest warrior from the enemies of the Lord is now held hostage by the enemies of the Lord. He's in such a bad place that he has to fake being crazy. And after being uh, faking being crazy, he's released and he finds himself in a cave by himself. When I read this story, it reminds me that the Bible is not authored by men, because if the Bible was authored by men, there would be a totally different uh, narrative to the story. If human beings had wrote this story, after David faithfully killed Goliath, he would have had a, a parade. Uh, he would have went to Disney. And he would have married the most beautiful girl. That, that, that's how we create stories. But God tells a totally different story. God tells us that a man who was faithful, a man who faced the greatest warrior of the armies who were against the Lord is now in a cave by himself. Don't make sense to you, does it? I mean, he's been faithful to the Lord. He's prayed. He's trusted God. He's done everything that God has asked him to do. And he's in a cave by himself. My mind wants to believe if I do everything that God has called me to do, I'm not going to be in a cave. I'm going to be in a palace. I'm not going to have to face hard times. I'm going to be happy times. My mind wants to tell me that this does not make sense, but in the text, you see that David himself in a cave. I love the passage because although David is in the cave, David does not waste the trip to the cave. In that cave, could have pointed his finger 
at the Lord. He could have shook his fist at God and acted as if God had forgotten about him. In that cave, he could have spent time uh, uh, rehearsing how Saul had done him wrong, how Saul was jealous of him, how Saul was the, was, the, was the issue of the problem. He could have spent that time in the cave thinking about the Philistine armies. He could have spent that time uh, thinking about how cold the cave was, how he didn't have any warmth, he didn't have any heat, how he didn't have any food. He could have spent that time wasting the trip to the cave, but he does not do that. David takes advantage of the trip to the cave And he takes a few moments in that cave to testify about the goodness of the Lord. To catch this, David is in the cave. He's still on the run from Saul. He's still in danger for his life. But he makes a decision to testify, to proclaim, to praise the Lord. He takes the time to, to give us a a biblical record of what it means to celebrate the goodness of the Lord, even though you may find yourself in a place where you don't feel like celebrating. I want to say this. Every time a believer testifies about the goodness of the Lord, it serves as an opportunity to encourage other believers in their faith. When we are honest about how faithful God has been to us, when we take a few moments to brag on God, when we take a few moments to tell the story of the goodness of God, of the grace of God, we allow ourselves to be encouraging to others who are on the journey of faith. In the text, David is in the cave, but because of praise and because of worship, David turns that cave into a cathedral. When we, re- when we usually think about a cathedral, we think about beautiful, pristine buildings. We think about uh, older structures. We think about uh, elaborate art. We think about places um, that people go for tourists, for tourism. But in the text, the cave that we are hearing about, it's not a typical cathedral. It's a reminder that in this life, you may not have the perfect place or the perfect scenario or the perfect environment to praise the Lord. Yeah, it would have been nicer to have the final accoutrements of a modern cathedral, but David didn't have all that. And here's the truth. You and I won't always have that either. There are going to be some days in your life. I know it's like, man, why did preaching didn't come with something more encouraging? It's going to be encouraging at the end. <laughs> there are going to be some days in your life where you find yourself in a cave. That cave may be a cave at work. Well, you're going to find yourself crying and hurting. That cave may be a stall in the bathroom. That cave may be your car while you're driving around the loop. That cave may be you sitting in the car rider line. That cave may be in the checkout line at Kroger or even the drive through at Chick-fil-A. I don't know where that cave is, but I believe in my heart that we will find ourselves in a place where we are going to have to make a conscious decision to praise the Lord. It's good to come to Calvary. It's good to have Chris on the piano. It's good to have the praise team singing with us. All those things are good, but all those things are not readily available when it's time to praise the Lord. I love our passage because it reminds me personally that God can receive praise from a broken person, but God can also receive praise when I'm still in a broken place. 
There are a couple of points I want to make for us in our close today. When you look at David's life, number one, David was broken, but David was still resolute. Verse one says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. The word resolute means firmly committed or determined. It communicates the idea of being locked into a purpose or an opinion. David is saying, I resolved in my heart that no matter what happened, I was going to praise the Lord. He was firmly committed and determined. He was locked in to praise the Lord. David says, I will bless the Lord no matter what happens. He says, I will bless the Lord during the good times and I will bless the Lord during the bad times. In the text, he says, I will bless the Lord at all times. He says at all times includes when I'm in 1 Samuel 21, while I'm locked up and I got to play the role of a crazy person. He says at all times, because there are going to be times in your life where you are tempted not to praise the Lord. Since David had trusted God and slayed Goliath, what seemed right is that the people will be praising him. But the text teaches us that what is right is that he be in a position to praise the Lord. It's never a time in your life where you should not be in a position where you are personally willing to praise the Lord. Here's how this plays out. Will I praise the Lord when I don't get the job? Will I praise the Lord when I can't change careers? Will I praise the Lord when they do me wrong? When I praise the Lord, when I don't sell the house or I don't get the house. I love me. I love I love the passage because it, it reminds us that there is not this neat and clean and crisp uh, scenario where we're going to have these warm fuzzies all the time that leads us to praise. But even in the hard times in our life, we are going to be in a position where we can praise the Lord. One of the Verses that our culture has latched on to is Romans 8, 28. God works all things out together for the good. And we've, we've taken that to mean that when we quote the scripture, what we're saying is, oh, everything's good. It's not what the passage communicates. The passage communicates that God is able to work things out for the good. The passage is communicating not that only good things will happen to us is saying that God is able to work in the midst of things that are bad to work those things for our good. David understood that God was able to work all things together for his good. And because God was able, David says, I'm going to make a decision to praise the Lord. He says, I'm going to put some action to my faith. When you look at the verbs in the text, you have the word bless, the word boast, the word magnify, the word exalt, and you have the word Lord 16 times in 22 verses. David is in the cave, and David could have been focused on spiritual warfare, but instead he chose to focus on worship. When you find yourself in a similar situation, you must decide where you will place your focus. He could have focused on the Philistines, he could have focused on the condition of the cave. He could have focused on Saul trying to kill him. 
But rather than focusing on temporary and fleeting things, David says, I'm going to focus on the Lord. Catch this. The more he focused on the Lord, the more he gave thanks to the Lord. Question for all of us is, could it be that we spend so much more time speaking about who's against us, speaking about who's done us wrong, speaking about how things didn't go right because that is where our focus is. When you think about the text, maybe if we shifted our focus to the, to the Lord, then our conversation would be flooded with thoughts about the goodness of the Lord. If my conversation is only about my supervisor who's tripping or the family member who's struggling or the friend who's failing or how things are not working out, maybe I need to take some time to turn my attention away from the things that are wrong to turn my attention to the one who is right. And in turning my attention to the one who is right, I believe the scriptures is communicating to us that then we will make a greater commitment to the Lord by not just giving thanks to the Lord, but here's what the text teaches us, that we are going to magnify and exalt his name together. We look at the text, we see David shining a spotlight on the Lord, not himself. All of us, we have this tendency to want to have the spotlight on us. But when you look at the text, verses 4 and 5, he shines a spotlight on how God is able to answer a prayer. Verses 9 and 10, he shines a spotlight on how God is able to provide. Verse 17, he shines a spotlight on how God is able to deliver. Verse 7, he shines a spotlight how, on how God is able to protect him from danger. David takes uh, the license and opportunity to boast, but his boast is in the Lord. I'm honest. Nine times out of ten, my boast is in Thomas. My boast is in my accomplishments. My boast is in the things that I want to get done. But David gives the credit to the Lord. David says in verse three, oh, magnify the Lord with me. We live in a world that wants to minimize who God is and what God has done. But worship magnifies all that God is, all that God has done, and all that God desires to do in our life. David is saying, I want to make the name of the Lord greater than my name. Like, what would your life look like personally if you were more committed to making God's name great? Like, what, what, would, what would change in your life if you said, on a practical level, I'm going to be more committed to making the name of the Lord great versus making my own name great. Many of the frustrations and many of the things that consume us all fall into, I want my name to be great. I want to be known as a great husband. I want to be known as a great pastor. I want to be known as a great this or that. But, but am I giving that energy and that passion to making the Lord's name great? I love the passage because there's an invitation in there where David is inviting us to magnify the Lord together. He's inviting us to this experience where we're not just personally praising the Lord, but we are corporately praising the Lord together because when we magnify the Lord together, the scripture promises us that God's presence will be there. The more we magnify him, the more we worship him, the more thanksgiving and adoration we give to him, the more God inhabits the praises of his people. So first, David was broken, but he was resolute. But secondly, 
David was broken, but still willing to reflect. Verse four says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. In verses four through six, David reflects on two realities. He says, number one, there's danger. Saul was trying to kill him and the face of danger was real. Uh, I, I don't want us to ever get to a place in our life where we are not honest about our struggles. The struggles on your job, the struggles in your family, the struggles in your health, the struggles in your finances, those are all legitimate struggles. But here's the other side of the coin. While there was danger that was present and real, David also takes the time to identify that God's deliverance is available. David doesn't say, God delivered me from all my danger. He says, God delivered me from all of my fears. It's a big difference. I've said this before. I think Sister Joyce loves when I say this. All fear is real, but let me say this way. All fear is not real, but all fear is powerful. Say it again. All fear is not real, but all fear is powerful. Fear produces a false heaven, a false hell, and a false savior. If your greatest fear is being by yourself, then the false heaven is the relationship, the false hell is singleness, and the false savior is being in a relationship with another person. If you're, if you're honest, that fear is not real, but that fear is powerful. If you fear not being accepted by people, the false heaven is people's positive opinions of you, the false hell is people being disappointed with you. And the false savior is you getting to a place where you are perfect so you don't make any mistakes so that people are always pleased with you. That's real. That's not real, but it's really powerful. And until we get to a place in our life where we can accept that God has brought us to a place to where we don't have to accept a false savior or false heaven or false hell, will always be held hostage by fear. Verse 6 says, This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. He remembered how God helped him slay the bear. He remembered how God helped him slay the lion and kill the giant and anointed him to be king. I think it's important for us. That there, there are some who are here today. We would do really well to delete some things in our life. We would do really well to start replaying offenses in our life because they're not helping us. There are other people here who would do really well to take some time to rehearse the faithfulness of God, to look back in your life and see how God was able to answer a prayer that you did not deserve to be answered, how God was able to work in such a way where he was able to do something significant in your life and through your life that you were not expecting, how you deserved the whooping, but God gave you a pass and gave you a blessing. So many of us recount things that are bad and we recount things that are going wrong and we do that and it robs us from, from remembering the faithfulness and the goodness of the Lord. David is in this cave, but he takes the time to reflect on what the Lord had done in his life. I think it's a good exercise for every believer to take, us, take some time to push away from the table, to cut off the TV and just cry.
chronicle the faithfulness of God. To think about the prayers that God has answered, to think about how God has met you where you are, to think about how God has surprised you by his grace. Because here's the truth, Satan desires that we be anxious and we be fearful, but God desires that we reflect so that we can remember his faithfulness. So David was broken but still resolute. David was broken but still willing to reflect. David was also broken, point three, and he was real. Verse seven says, we see very clearly that there is danger that's real. But there's also divine assistance that's real. Verse 7 tells us that God protects us. Verse 8 and 9 tell us that, tells us that God provides for us. When you think about verses 8 and 9, you see there's an invitation to taste and see. The scripture tells us that lions seek prey, and they are strategic hunters, but the passage reminds us that even those who are, the, who are considered the king of the jungle still have times where they are hungry and they go without. When you look at the text, there's a, actually a promise in verse 8 and 9, or actually verse 10, that we usually kind of skip over. There's a promise in the text that says, those who seek the Lord won't lack anything. It says... If you seek the Lord, you will get whatever you want. It says, if you seek the Lord, you will have a blank check from God. It doesn't say that. The text says, that's what the text says. Those who seek the Lord, catch this, lack no good thing. The key word to verse 10 is the word good. In my life, there are plenty of things that I have concluded that would be good. A bigger house, uh, me, and, me and my brother were talking about the lottery, hitting the lottery. I've concluded in my mind that that's good. A bigger salary, a better vacation. And if we're honest, there is a significant difference between what I have determined to be good and what God has determined to be good. And since God has determined different things to be good, I've got to ask myself, if I'm seeking the Lord and I'm not getting that thing, is it a good thing? We don't want to think about it from that perspective. But if I'm seeking the Lord, if I'm pursuing God and God is telling me no, I really believe it's a reminder that that is not what God would consider a good thing. One last point and we're done. David was broken but resolute. David was broken but still willing to reflect. David was broken but still real. But verse number 11, verses 11 through 16 tell us David was broken but willing to make a reassessment. Verse 11 says, Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days, and he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil, your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. 
Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory, cut off the memory of them from the earth. In verses 11, David is essentially calling a meeting with his mighty men. And based upon his experiences in 1 Samuel chapters 20 through 22, David encourages his men or women to make a reassessment over three significant areas of life. I want you to catch this. David is not saying that we should simply assess an area. David is saying we must be willing to reassess an area. To simply make an assessment is a one-time deal. But to reassess means that I cannot rest on my laws. I cannot rest and get comfortable. I cannot rest because I got to continue to reassess where I am. Reassessment says I don't want to settle for better when I know that God has something that is best. And he says there are three areas that we need to be willing to reassess as believers. Verse 13 tells us we need to reassess our words. Verse 13 says keep your tongue from evil, your lips from speaking deceit. Question I got to ask myself is am I willing to reassess what comes out of my mouth? When I speak, what comes out? Blessings and curses, death or life. Do my words heal or do my words harm? Do my words hurt or do my words help? After reassessing my words, then he says, we must reassess our walk. Verse 14 says, turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Your walk speaks to your lifestyle. It's not what people, not what you want people to see on Sunday. It's when the doors are closed. It's when you've logged off of social, social media. It's when no one is around. Maybe when those who are closest around you see the real you, you got to be willing to make a reassessment about how your walk is pleasing to the Lord. He speaks about your works. He speaks about your walk. Then lastly, he speaks about your works. Verse 15 says, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. The question that we must ask ourselves in verses 15 and 16 is, what is your life producing? I say this all the time, but it's true. At the end of our lives, the majority of us will not be guilty of being unsuccessful. But the majority of us will be guilty of being successful at the wrong things. To be successful at the right things, I must be willing to reassess my work. I've got to ask myself the question, am I doing the work that God has called me to do? I'm asking myself, have I come to a place to where I'm focused on doing kingdom work? Now, some people are sitting here thinking, like, is he calling all us to preach? Is he calling all us to go on the mission field? Like, what in the world is he talking about? I'm talking about, have you identified the areas of your life where God says these areas are most important? Have you come to a place in your life where you're saying, I want to lock in and I want to focus my energy and my passion on what God has called me to do. If you're sitting here wondering this morning, like, what, what, where do I start, Thomas? How, how do I even begin this process? Go with me quickly to Matthew chapter number 22. I'm going to read verses 36 through 40. 
Matthew 22, verse 36 says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said, this is Jesus. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Jesus says, here's the work that you're called to do, right? He didn't say nothing about going to church. He didn't say anything about giving money. He didn't even say anything about going on a mission trip or feeding the poor or feeding the homeless. Jesus didn't say any of that. He says the work that you need to do is is very simple. He says, number one, you need to love me with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. Jesus is saying what God wants is to be in the first place of priority in your life. So the work that we're called to do is to know God. To love him with all my heart, with all my mind, with all my soul, with all my strength. Like, that's got to be my focus. Can't be just my, the, 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 the job that's paying my bills. It can't just be fun and leisure. It's got to be what God has called me to do. And secondly, second work that we're called to do is to love our neighbors as ourselves. Simply, simply put, are you willing to put other people before you? Or do you have to be in the first place? Do you have to be in the first seat? Because here's how the passage connects together. When Jesus says, I want you to love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, that's our vertical relationship. But you cannot tell me that the vertical relationship only impacts the vertical. He asked the second one because when you're loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, then you begin to love other people like yourself. A lot of us disconnect those two things. We think that I can come to church on Sunday and I can hear a good message or an average message from Thomas and I can leave here and check the box and, and I'm good for the week. But, but what happens here should so impact my devotion to the Lord that it ultimately impacts my, my commitment to serving other people. So here's our, here's our application. And Christian, come on up. We're done. When you think about this passage... Think about what it's communicating. There, there are four very simple points of application. They go right back to our points we've already discussed. Number one, God desires that you be resolute, that you be firmly committed to praise, not just when it's comfortable and convenient, but the scripture tells us that we shall bless the Lord at all times. Secondly, God desires that you take time to reflect. It's so easy for me to get to this place where I'm thinking about what I don't have, what other people haven't done. It's so easy for me to be discontent when I don't reflect on what God has already accomplished in my life through Christ. Thirdly, God desires that you be real. I hate that some people feel like I can't even be honest about struggles. And in the church, this is a place where we can be honest and real about what's going on. I want you to get to this place where you feel like you cannot tell people or ask people to pray for you. We can be real. And we can know that danger is real, but God's God's deliverance is also available. And fourthly, probably the most important application, when you look look at this passage, 
it really does invite us to have this lifestyle of reassessing three areas. My words, it's pretty evident. My walk, it's pretty evident. And lastly, my works. What comes out of my mouth, what is revealed in my life, and what is produced by my life. Those are the things that passage encourages us and invites us to look at. And I pray even this week that you'll take some time to wrestle with how these truths apply to your life. We pray for us. Father, thank you so much for opportunity to get into your word and to dig deep. God, as we prepare to respond in song, just feel specifically led to pray for those who are hurting. Lord, I know that there are so many who recently have gotten bad news or had tough conversations. There are folks who are in our midst, God, who are disappointed and Honestly, there are people who at moments want to give up. God, I pray that you would be a very present help. God, that you would meet us right where we are. God, I thank you that I don't have to hide my brokenness. I don't have to hide and act like I have it all together. God, but you can take my brokenness and you can use it to create a masterpiece. Just feel led to pray, God, for those who have been hurt, who've been abused, who've been lied on, God, who, those who have been taken advantage of. God, I pray supernaturally, God, that you will do a work in their life and that you will use that to tell the story of redemption, to use it to draw others. God, thank you for this church. Thank you for the beautiful picture that we have of God's kingdom. God, we want to be a church that reflects our community, God. We want to be a church that reflects your heart. God, help us to hold on to that. God, we don't care about the numbers. We don't care about how nice the building is, God. We care about having a body of believers that reflects your heart. We care about having a body of believers, God, that is willing to do the work and the ministry that you called us to, God. God, we don't want to take this for granted. And God, we don't want to be here each week and become comfortable over what you want to do. God, I pray even as a pastor of this church that you stretch us, that you push us. God, don't let us get comfortable because things are good. God, give us greater vision. God, give us a greater burden. God, a greater desire. God, don't let us rest. Don't let us hit cruise control, God, but help us, God, to wrestle with how can we produce more fruit for you? How can we love others and tell them more about you? God, how can we walk alongside others and help them take steps of faith? God, that's what we want to be about. And we pray that that is the heart of our church. In Jesus' name, amen.